What's going on, everybody? And essentially, welcome to a live reaction to AEW All Out 2022. Allow me to go to the right thing there. Because, hey, we had to do it. Crash and I were both watching the pay-per-view. And instead of waiting until Tuesday to talk all about the wrestling, kind of crazy stuff happens, so why not talk about it tonight? So we will say this right out of the gates. Again, Second Turnbuckle Podcast. You can find us everywhere, especially on Twitter. Feel free to do that. We might end up on YouTube at some point. Uh, originally, this show was going to be on Tuesday. We were going to talk about Clash at the Castle. We were going to talk about, because I actually watched it, Crash Andrews, the one man who can get me to watch a WWE pay-per-view in full for the first time in four years. Congratulations, sir. Listen, listen, I was watching your stream. I showed you a picture. I was watching your stream outdoors with a fire. I had better things to do. Actually, that was at night and Clash of the Castle was in mm. the afternoon, so I... I have no excuse. <laughs> I was doing family things, okay? Imagine being a family man. I was a dad. He was a dad. I mean, you I'll still are a dad. Yes, I, yeah, that didn't change. <laughs> <laughs> We're here tonight to turn Crash's attention away from family tragedy. Um, all right, well, this, 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 took, a, this took a weird a weird turn, didn't it? Took a yeah. bit of a weird turn. It always that's does. okay. It, it's us. It wouldn't be a weird turn if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't us, right? So, with that, we will still have a podcast on Tuesday. Again, Second Turnbuckle. You can find us everywhere. Everywhere now, and especially on Twitter, at Second Turnbuckle with the number 2ND. We will also have, like I said, we'll have that podcast on Tuesday. Crash, this is what happens when we go live. I'm paying attention to Endo and chat. It's weird. So Tuesday, we'll talk about Clash of the Castle. We'll talk about whatever the hell happens on Raw because that'll clarify some stuff. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about AEW a little bit more. But this event tonight, with both of us watching, it was kind of the catalyst for us just being like, let's just do this now. And for me, in terms of streaming at my normal time, it was going to be, I'm going to talk about wrestling anyway. So why not talk about wrestling with Crash in more of a, a formal setup? So AEW all in. We got a lot to talk about in an in-depth setting. I do want to ask you right off the top. Yes, sir. Your thoughts on the show in a general sense. This is this is what I love about where this podcast is going to be, because you and I were messaging over Twitter the entire pay-per-view. Like, I, I know that there were parts that you didn't see. There were parts that I didn't see, and we kind of filled each other in. Um, but we have two completely different viewpoints of what this pay-per-view was coming from mm. two different and, and we established that in the, the the first episode we are coming from two different viewpoints two different uh, wrestling histories to get us to where we are so i don't disparage anybody i don't think that anybody else's opinion including yours is incorrect i just felt like they they took the playbook of the past maybe 10 years of WWE of like the buildup was fantastic. The matches to get to the finish were great. Mm. And after the acclaimed match, after the tag team match, everything just kind of fell apart and it just fell flat for me. And then at the end, even the ending, which we'll get into no spoilers yet, but even the ending was cool, gave me goosebumps, and then it didn't pay off again. So, as far as I'm concerned, was it worth purchasing? Purchase it. I didn't purchase it. Was it worth purchasing? Probably. Um, was it to the standard that I think AEW has been able to do in the past? I would have to go with a definite no. I don't think that's going to be an uncommon opinion, necessarily. Um, I did purchase it. I purchased every one of their pay-per-views because it's a company that I like and a company that I like to financially support who haven't, you know, done overly shitty things. Yet. So, yet. yet. <laughs> that said, 
in terms of the event itself, will this go down as like AEW's best pay per view? No, no, it will not. No. Um, but I, I hardly think it's the worst or as bad as some people are making it out to be. Can I can I just elaborate just a tad on what I'm saying though? For those for those who listened to episode one, one of the biggest themes that I had was um, the investment and the payoff. And I usually just go into pay-per-views for the most part. Like, I've got a little bit of back history with the stories to get here. I think AEW still has a ways to go building certain things rather than just being like, oh, hey, let's just throw this match together because something happened last Friday or last Wednesday. Um, but in having said that, there were some great buildups. There were some great matches. But even in the show itself, the buildup to the finish of the match didn't quite match the, the investment as a fan that I made. I'm not saying that the right person won or didn't have to win or any of that stuff. It's just how we got there. And then um, a lot of the matches were... <laughs> For I don't even know if this is a great comparison, but a lot of the matches felt like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Like, you got invested in the story, and then, oh, hey, what, hey, one, two, three, the match is over. Doesn't matter who won, or what you did for the last ten minutes, or in, even in one match, the last thirty seconds. Like, there's, some of them logically kind of made sense, but where you started and where you got to at the end, mm. and then the pin or the submission or whatever, just for some reason felt rushed to me or and after a 20 minute just slobber knocker of a fight but the 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 ending just didn't really feel good for for lack of a better term well we'll we'll get into this really quickly yeah um, i guess the best way to go about it is probably match by match because there's talking points for everything with the exception of the pre-show for me which i did not see i was a little uh, bit busy Pre-show was great. I liked the pre-show. I'd had no problems with anything that happened on the pre-show. I was going to say, yeah, your thoughts on the pre-show in general, because obviously I heard about the results, certainly. Um, You know, Kip Sabian losing after, what, a year away, essentially, and he loses on a pre-show, which Tony Khan mentioned he doesn't want a pre-show to be viewed as a pre-show because it makes it sound like it's unimportant. Which right. I respect that. It's not Sunday Night Heat where you're going to get a two-minute match between Takaminchinoku and Crash Holly. Right. Although I, I lived for those. My God. Um, I haven't seen the match itself. So in terms of like any nuance to it of how it went down or whatever, that's completely lost on me. But I can see why people would be frustrated at the outcome. Again, one of those things where they just kind of threw this one together. Kip Sabian has been built for the past two years as the guy with the box on his head. He's a great wrestler. Um, both of them are fantastic wrestlers. I actually got a lot of respect for Kip Sabian after watching this match, and yeah, there was no chance he was going to win because there was no build-up. Like, that was a match that was thrown together this past week. And then obviously the main event of the pre-show was Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii, which is going, I'm sure, was amazing. I don't have to watch that to know that match was going to be good. <laughs> I uh, I put on Twitter the Big E video of him on the podcast just talking about two big men slapping oh, meat. Big, yeah, big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> that is that's the best example I can give of this match. It was just it was it was entertaining. Some of the things that they were doing went on a little longer than they needed to, but for the most part, it was. Yeah, you're not going to get a technical match out of Eddie Kingston, um, but. For what it was, I think it was it was pretty, uh, I guess, pretty enjoyable. Hmm. So the main card started off with the casino ladder match. Winner gets a shot, a future shot at the AEW World Championship. It was Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta of the Blackpool Combat Club. Penta and Ray Phoenix. The Lucha Brothers. Roosh and Andrade of what the hell of the LFI is it? Yeah, sure. yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and then Dante Martin randomly because his brother's hurt again and he wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> basically, 
And by the way, hello, since we are live streaming this, Coco, hello. Thank you very much for the raid there. Appreciate it. Um, so yeah, Dante Martin, no partner. And then, of course, the the Joker, the mysterious Joaquin Phoenix of them all, uh, who did who did not come out at the start of the match, right? At all. Whew. For me, my ears and Twitch's ears just got blown out because of alerts that are supposed to be muted but aren't. <laughs> Shout out to Streamlabs. Yeah. We knew this would be a little bit funky and a little bit wonky for a last second last minute thing of uh of trying to get this done so yeah my finger's gonna have to be on the uh on the hot button there anyway uh joker didn't come out to start of the match and it's like huh that's interesting because mm-hmm. why not why not the match itself was a ladder match in 2022 mm-hmm. i think that's the best way to sum it up it was a ladder match in 2022 yes I don't, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, but I'm just like, yep, this was a ladder match, all right. It was it was a good example of a ladder match in 2022 because yes. again, I go back to um which one was it? Uh Money in the Bank uh where you didn't know that uh Brock Lesnar was, was going to come. Big out? Show had his own special giant ladder. <laughs> no. No, just um the two things I think the one thing that I didn't like about it was they actually spent a little bit of time explaining that anyone could win at any time, mm. which to me was like, oh, that would be actually kind of cool if like three of the six came out. We never find out who the Joker is. Right. Like, I would love to see that again. I love chaos. Um, the other part was, like I said, it, it would the finish was a it was a good ladder match. With, I don't know, uh, there's something about not knowing who's going to come out, because even uh, Adam Cole was a name. I believe you were talking about uh, W. Morrissey as being yes. a name. Which, um, technically... Technically, I'm going to give you half a point when, when I calculate. <laughs> but, um, you know, and there's other, like, with honestly, with all the, uh, all the chatter about um, tampering with contracts... I was actually thinking, like, how cool would it be if a WWE contracted wrestler came out? Hmm. Just with, you know, that would be... Oh my god, it's Lex Luger. What's he doing here? (laughs) What's he doing here? Uh, Also, shout out to uh, WCW Nitro's first ever uh, around this time or something like that. Um, Yeah, it was like September 95, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All of America. Lex Luger shows up. Rest is history. In in the uh, Seinfeld pirate shirt, um, <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> Just this big floofy ass white oh, shirt. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but the ending again. That was that was kind of the first sniff I had of like, okay, they're they're going kind of the WWE route here. For some reason, it just it didn't feel right. And I thought with Stokely coming out and grabbing it, I was like, holy crap, that is fantastic. But then it added, like, a little bit of mystery when, like, the announcers knew who the Joker was. And they're like, no, no, this isn't him. Like, he's not the, he doesn't have a shot at, well, no crap. He doesn't have a shot at uh, at a heavyweight title. But it was kind of like, I don't know. It was just, that was kind of the start of, like, kind of feeling like something was up with this pay-per-view. But, I mean, as I tweeted at the time, that felt weird. The payoff at the end better be good. Right. So to fully recap it again, end of the match, you have, I believe it was seven people in total, all in black, masks and all, hit the ring, set up a ladder. One of them climbs up, it pulls it down, reveals it to be Stokely Hathaway. And yes. every single person that he has given a business card to over the past month and a half, I went to Dynamite on October 27th okay. and what not October 27th, August 27th. Yes, yes, yes. No, July 27th. I can't get my fucking months together. Um, <laughs> end of July. I went to the dynamite that was in Worcester and that was the episode that where they taped rampage and Lee Moriarty got a card for God's sakes. I don't even know how many people knew that. It's like how many people saw Moriarty in the ring is like, who the fuck's that? Um, but yeah, it was Ethan page, Lee Moriarty, Colton and Austin gun and W Morrissey. 
right. who I thought would play somewhat of a part in this. Stokely pulls it down, and the supposed leader of the group comes out to sympathy for the devil. <laughs> right. How much do you think? They, and they only played it once because when what happened later happens, they didn't they play, play it, it again. So no. they only played it once. Um, <laughs> Endo, I did see that tweet. <laughs> God, just the one-time usage of sympathy for the devil. Um, and yeah, you know, immediately everyone starts kind of trying to dissect, though, who comes out to the ring, which I loved. And they didn't give it away. The guy acted like he was going to unmask, walked away, which was awesome. I agree that Sympathy for the Devil is a terrible wrestling song. The intro to it is way too fucking long. Um, but shout out to uh, SRS, uh, Sean Sapp on uh, Twitter from Fightful. Uh, he found the clip that ties it all yes. together. Which, which was a huge spoiler for me. There was, I mean, I even tweeted, uh, we were, again, messaging back and forth, and I'm like, what if it's Mox? Like, what if this is, like, a wicked backup to Mox? By the way, in the notes of uh, future uh, episodes, I would love to talk about how the Blackpool Combat Club uh, is being completely underused, and it's a terrible idea as far as I'm concerned. Just as a FYI. Interesting. You know, write that down for the show on uh, on Tuesday. On Tuesday? Fair. Because that, that's Fair. a conversation worth having that I completely disagree with. Which is perfect. <laughs> that's kind um, of our dynamic. It's awesome. Yeah, so I thought it could be Mox actually turning, because it's in Chicago. It's going to be a pro uh, CM Punk crowd. Um, and it would be a nice little backup. And some of the mannerisms, like he's going around like this, doing like the whole dance that... Uh, um, you know, that sometimes Mox does. Yeah. But I kind of looked at the... He threw in guy. a couple of different mannerisms to get you thinking. The thing that sold it for me was the way he entered the ring and stepped through the ropes. He did a little kick okay. out of the leg for the pant leg, like, just... It, it was one of those things. And the tweet that you're referring to from Sean Rossap essentially mentioned there is no sympathy for the devil that is MJF. That was back in April when he was cutting a promo on Wardlow backstage. Right. So right. there may have been these these teases and these hints, or it's a big coincidence that they again elected to tie together. Although with the way this is all set up, it does certainly it's not out of the realm of possibility to say that this was the plan the entire goddamn time was for right. MJF to take the damn summer off and then come back here and now. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna like sit here and just be like tony khan you fucking did it the master plan i'm sure there are some things that changed considering cm punk broke his damn foot wasn't a part of the plan but the idea that they would have set up cm punk and spoiler everybody the joker's mjf the fact that they would look to <laughs> set up that match in new york at arthur ash stadium for grand slam that is not the most far-fetched idea that they would have had that planned back in april oh 100 percent and that was the great thing about how they set that up was one minute you thought, wow, he's really shooting. He's really going off here. And then the next minute you're like, but they're giving him TV time. Yeah. But he's really going off and he's got some and all the stories you're hearing about is in two years, how he's going to sign with uh, WWE and WWE. By the way is now significantly more likely now that Triple H is at the helm, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I could see that. Significantly more likely. Like, I I was like, you know, when he left in June after that promo in Los Angeles, I'm like, ah, he's probably staying. Yeah, Triple H is at the helm of that show. Who the hell knows what the wrestling landscape is going to look like in 2024. We'll talk, I guess, more about MJF, unless you had anything else to add. I didn't really mean to cut you off, but we'll talk more about that once we kind of get to the main event and everything, but yeah. I think we can both agree then overall opening ladder match solid. And it definitely set the stage for the rest of the show where everyone is saying that the payoff to you yes. ending a ladder match like that needs to be outstanding. Yes. I would say that I, I didn't feel uh, unsatisfied by what happened. Because they didn't just throw somebody out there um, that had ended. Now, again, like you said, like to use um, uh, that we're going to talk about it. Uh, if what we're going to talk about didn't happen, 
I would have been pissed to have to wait till Wednesday or Friday or the next right. pay-per-view or what if they drew this off like who's the Joker for like two weeks or two months? Mm-hmm. Oh, that would have been terrible. Yeah, I think that would have been WCW-esque. And I don't think you can call the ending to this ladder match WCW-esque because the payoff wasn't Road Warrior Animal in the year <laughs> 2000 or something like that. Right. Like, right. it wasn't, oh, oh my God, the Joker's Disco Inferno. Like, right. come on. Like, it wasn't, uh, not even close. Like, as someone who still vividly remembers the end of WCW and has gone back and watched a lot of stuff, no, dude, the Joker could have been revealed to be, well, shit, if it was Danhausen, that would have gotten the biggest pop of the night. Um, it could have been <laughs> pretty much the reveal. There was almost no way it could have been as bad as like, do you remember when the, were you watching AW when Dark Order first showed up and nobody knew who the fuck they were, which was incredibly sad and frustrating as a member of the Super Smash Brothers? Yeah, slightly. Um, God, yeah, just... Basically, it wasn't it wasn't that bad, and it could have been a hell of a lot worse, but they did pay it off in the same show. They immediately followed the ladder match in that bit of an ending where everyone's like, hmm, where the fuck's this going to go with something that I think some people might have as a potential match of the year candidates? Yeah. <laughs> with the trios final, the elite against, essentially, now it is Hangman and the Dark Order, but just call it the Dark Order. Right. Um, which, as expected... This match was fucking fantastic. I agree that the buildup was probably a little bit rushed and it would have been nice to have one dynamite to have there be a segment where Kenny and Hangman show like that they still don't like each other and that the Bucks are torn and like, fuck, this sucks. That would have been nice. I do agree with that. But I do think within the match, the ending does kind of get to where I wanted them to be anyway, where throughout the match, you do get Omega and Hangman clearly still at odds. You have the throwback to the full gear match from last year where Hangman's on the apron, except this time Matt Jackson does stop him. Says no. Yeah. And then the end of the match is Hangman, much like Omega said he always did, Hangman fucks it up at the end by accidentally buckshotting John Silver and costing his team the match. Like I said, the build-up to it, I agree, left a bit to be desired, but in typical AEW fashion, for the most part, once you get to the match and the story of the match plays out, home run. Yeah, I... You can't sit there and tell me, though, that you didn't want John Silver... that you didn't want to see him win the title. Win a title. I did. I did. And I th- honestly, though, that's that's where they've positioned them. Right. Yes. And I get that that frustrates some people about the Dark Order and feeling like the stable could have been more. Yeah. And John Silver's fucking amazing. Um, spoiler alert. He was in Chikara back in the day under a mask and he was fucking amazing then. Like he is incredible in ring. He has an incredible connection to the audience. Yes. No matter where they're fucking wrestling at this point. I agree. I, like, I understand why people want to see more for them and why this could have been a really feel-good victory for the Dark Order. At the same time, I I still see the story that they're telling where it's Kenny gets a little bit of revenge after Hangman took his title last year. Yeah, I think... I, I get what you're saying about the Dark Order, too, because the Dark Order went from, like, a, almost like a supernatural group like yeah. what House of Black has actually kind of turned out to be. I mean, they they literally went from a cult to the unfortunate yeah. Brody Lee passing, and then it's just like, fuck, what do we do? Actually, so my son, uh, Little Crash, and I were watching, and uh, he actually pointed out, like, there was ten of them at one point. Yeah. <laughs> and now there's four. And that's the business of wrestling, but still, like, mm-hmm. they're they're continuing to go with it. They're now a comedy group-ish. Uh, amazing workers, amazing wrestlers. I mean, to the point that they're actually in this trio's finale, um, which in hindsight, maybe there was better or more deserved uh, trios in AEW, but that might be a a topic for another time. I thought the match was great. I thought the finish, the finish, I think either way after that match 
would have been okay. And I do respect, as you pointed out, like the story continued between Hangman and uh, and Kenny Omega. And I think that's one thing that AEW doesn't do is they do like the little callbacks really well, but they don't continue the storylines um, as much or like it's just kind of thrown away when it's all done where this one's gone on and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what it, they can do as singles again against each other. Yeah. I mean, coming out of this, like my intrigue in the story is there because you got to remember too, like you had the idea of the young bucks asking hangman to be their partner. And he said no. And then they beat him in the final. So right. I won't be surprised that the young bucks take more of a heelish route. People will complain that they're flip-flopping. Um, which is what it is. People complain anyway, but no, I mean, I think this was, this was perfect. Like for this specific match, fantastic. And in a general sense, I really enjoyed the first two matches on the show. I had no complaints with the ladder match finish and the six man match was fantastic. And both, I mean, literally the ladder match set you up with later intrigue and this, you know, this trios match, I think did the same very much. So I would, I would only say that it put more focus on Hangman and uh, Kenny than it did to progress where the trios could go, which was kind of done later on in a backstage segment. Hmm. Um, but I wanted to see more of Kenny Omega and Hangman, which kind of put the titles on the back burner after the first champion was crowned. Yeah, I can see that. I am intrigued to see just how much focus and attention the trios get, but given who the champions are, I think it's going to be a lot. So, uh, I think FTR and, and CM Punk will be a fine champion down the road. I sons of the Hitman, like <laughs> what it, it's going to be the Hitmen, the Hitmen. <laughs> Third match on the card, and look, I know some people were frustrated by this that. Of course, a women's match gets placed after a, one of the biggest matches on the show. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I mean, shit, when it's a 15 match card, if you include the pre-show, something was bound to kind of end up in a spot like this. Uh, but they had Jade Cargill and Athena for the TBS championship. And Jade Cargill wins at a clocked time of four minutes and 20 seconds. And I said to you after this, while we're not getting into Clash of the Castle territory, and we'll see if, if you agree when we talk about that on Tuesday, um, I compared this very much to the Liv Morgan-Shayna Baszler match, where it was fine. You know, I do think from an in-ring perspective, and this might be controversial, I don't know, the WWE women's division gets hyped up a lot. But on average, the in-ring quality is about the same. I will say WWE's peaks in terms of how they spotlight the women, significantly better outside of a few instances, like Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker, headlining in a cage match, stuff like that. But bell to bell, on average, the ring work is about the same, but the optics of WWE and how they treat their women's divisions a little bit better, I don't know how, considering they ran a women's pay-per-view for the sole purpose of, oh, we can't let you go to Saudi Arabia. Here's your own pay-per-view. Oh, look at this, everybody. We're great. Uh, I don't know how their optics are as positive as they are after something like that, but they are in fair play. Um, optics off the oftentimes are about showing people what you want them to see, essentially. I thought this match was fine. It was nothing special. There was a clunky moment where the baddies were supposed to break up the fall after Athena hit her finisher, and they didn't, so Jade kicked out of it, and they weren't supposed to. Uh, or, you know, it, yeah, Jade kicked out of it, she wasn't supposed to. And she ends up winning. You know, this was the first match of the night that you look at and say this would have been served better as a Dynamite or Rampage main event. I am going to disagree with you only on the premise of I, if given, uh, if given a choice of any two WWE women's wrestlers going up against any two AEW women's wrestlers, um, in just a normal match, because there have been some blood and guts matches that have been amazing. There have been some, um, 
uh, I'm not going to say that they've all been terrible, but I feel that from what I've seen out of the women's division in WWE, it is way more polished uh, than AEW. And I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier because I I even was thinking like this match is really sloppy and then a finish just kind of happened out of nowhere that didn't really feel like uh, again going back to my theme of like where things were going and where it actually ends up um just read richard head (laughs) um but yeah i just i think the women's division in wwe is more polished that doesn't necessarily mean that the women's division in aew is terrible i just kind of feel like some of the things some of like just the the basic nuances uh maybe even the limitations uh just aren't there yet with aew and i know that they're they've been around for three years or so now and you know a lot of them have been there since day one that they should know better but at the end of the day i think the bar is set so high for aew as a company to go over and above to try and get more viewers and everything that they're doing things to put themselves um not in danger like a um uh nia jacks match but there were there were a couple of moves uh by athena tonight that just missed and they had to kind of fix it in the moment and it wasn't like a one or two the i know the spot that you're talking about with the baddies uh, like the, it just it didn't click and for somebody that they're trying to hype up with the uh the win the winning streak and uh as I said before, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to dethrone her. Um, it just it didn't feel like that high, high marquee match that it should have been. I think that's fair. And I mean, you know, the thing with Jade, too, is, again, she only has like 40 some odd matches in her career. Something like that. Like yeah. they don't have a house show loop, so she doesn't wrestle all that often. She is still relatively new. I still do view this as like, look, I fully acknowledge the the handling of the AEW women's division kind of speaks for itself at this point. But like I said, I don't view it as this massive gulf between the two. If you are comparing the companies in terms of the in ring, at least from what I saw at clash at the castle on Saturday, it's not that much better in my opinion. And especially too, like, or what was it earlier this year? WWE had a tournament that was mentioned in chat here. That was 15 minutes of in-ring action combined. We can't just pretend, Oh, triple H is at the helm now. So everything's going to be amazing. Like I said, the highs of the WWE women's division. Yes, they are higher than they are. At the end of the day though, like I said, I don't see this drastic difference. I do wonder if, you know, AEW had as much weekly TV time as WWE did if their division was still kind of as shaky as it is, then you get no, no benefit of the doubt. In that yeah, and I, I, I would agree to that. Cause I mean, when I'm talking about the difference, mm-hmm. maybe I am adding in the high side of the Becky Lynch's and the, the Charlotte flares. Right, and that's what I, that's what I give them too. Like they definitely yeah. have that. I just think the good of the WWE, not just the women's side, but the good of the WWE is very good. Yes. Bad of the WWE is fucking dreadful. I could agree. I don't see too many dreadful moments for the AEW women's division. I don't see too many amazing moments either, though. Certainly less than what you would get at the high end for the, the top women in WWE. I think here's where I'll put it and here's where I'll leave it to is when you've got a championship title or two championship titles and you're trying to do a, a winning streak, which compares to I can't remember how many matches and they didn't really keep track of the matches with Oscar, but you're trying to Oscar this, you're trying to Goldberg this. Mm -hmm. You're trying to put them on those same levels. Now, if you put Jade Cargill and Oscar in a match together, you'll get more botches from Jade than you will from Oscar easily. So I think, I think that's where it comes for me. It, as far as like the talent level in AEW, is this where the talent level, the top and bottom in in WWE is much higher. I 100% agree to that. But the 
the idea of a Britt Baker or a Tony Storm being on the same level as a Becky Lynch or you can't really even use the champions right now because I would put it on the level of like a Liv Morgan, but I wouldn't put it on a level of a Bailey or a Sasha Banks or or that group like the 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 Horsemen, right? I I don't think you put them on that same level. Yeah, I think I think you know again, kind of leave that where it is. It's all well and good. Um, yeah, this match it was it was okay. And honestly, if it was going to be just okay, you probably are better off leaving it short instead of stretching it out to ten minutes. On a pay-per-view, though, I would have rather, like, I agree with you. I would have rather seen that as a main event or a co-main event on a uh, on a TV. Right. But that, see, and then that gets into the whole conversation of, oh, well, they didn't have this women's title on the on the pay-per-view. And you, you're, you can't win pretty much no matter what at that stage. And you can argue that they made their own bed in that instance. And it is what it is. It just gets into a whole thing. I'll put it now, out there, too. I think where my head... The ham when the hamster started running, I'm saying, well, he's going to get canceled. He's going to be Captain Marvel. Like I didn't like Captain Marvel only because the character was more powerful than the story portrayed. But if you hate Captain Marvel, you're a woman hater. <laughs> so, for the I record, think- I really enjoyed Captain Marvel because I'm not a Marvel nerd, so I could just treat it for what it was without having to compare it to anything else. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> oh my God. Wardlow and FTR. Beat Jay Lethal. The Motor Shitty Motor City Machine Guns. The Motor Shitty. (laughs) Far from shit, uh, that particular tag team and this match, but another match that would have been better served as a dynamite or rampage main event. Yes. Another, like, you know, you cut this match out, all of a sudden you shave 20 minutes of time off of this pay-per-view with the past two matches. And it's like, Oh, it's not that bad. Again, the match itself, not bad. Look at who's in this match. It is going to be a good match. The right trio of Wardlow and FTR one. Mm-hmm. You did have the cute moment with, uh, with Dax's daughter, both on the ramp during the entrance and then coming down and breaking Sanjay's pencil, which was hilarious. Yes. But again, fitting people onto the pay-per-view for the sake of fitting them onto the pay-per-view and the idea, like the legacy of this show is going to be that it was too damn long, which is the conversation after every AEW pay-per-view, which is why it doesn't bother me as much. I expect these pay-per-views to be long because that has clearly been their approach um, with four pay-per-views a year. It's just what they do. Again, Great match. Did it need to necessarily be on the pay-per-view? No. If you're not going to give FTR the AEW Tag Team Championship, they're holding almost every other available belt. Right? They're walking out with all the gold a la Kenny Omega of last year. Mm. You're not giving them a sniff at your own title. Why did we not have this trio in versus the elite? That would have been so much better of a match, I would think, because you have the FTR versus um, the uh, the Young Bucks yeah. as uh, just one of the greatest rivalries that AEW's ever had. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the up-and-comer Wardlow versus Kenny Omega, which could foreshadow something down the road as well. You brought in... Jay Lethal has got a threesome that he could have wrestled with. Mm. Uh, you brought in the Motor City Machine Guns, who I absolutely adore, and they had a decent match. There's nothing coming out of this match, though. I know I said in the podcast I was looking forward to this one. It could be match of the night. Kind of was, kind of wasn't. So, um, and I will point out, too, as a father, the ending almost had me in happy tears. Not in not in laughing, just there's something about children now as a parent and getting those big moments that absolutely wrecks me. So I I enjoyed and understood why they went there, especially with Sanjay's shirt. Um, but now that's all over. Like, I don't see anything coming out of this match out of the pay-per-view. And it's not like it had so much buildup that that was the payoff that it you needed. Get- 
FTR and the machine guns in a match at some point, maybe on the next Ring of Honor pay-per-view, maybe on a Dynamite. It'll be an amazing match. That's where it ends. And then you still continue the Wardlow story leading to him powerbombing Satnam Singh because he's gigantic. Yeah. I, I don't know if there was enough to continue that. I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just... Mm. When everything ended and everybody ran out, like... The, the, the example that I have in my head right now is, is Triple H Mankind after King of the Ring and then Canadian Stampede and then just everything, like everything built into the next thing unless it was the payoff. Yeah. And then the next night on the next show, they got their next challenge. I just right. didn't see that continuation out of this match. You had FTR have their moment with the kid and right. Wardlow and everybody was happy. The end. You didn't get a promo afterwards. You didn't get anything else. So a promo now, we have to wait till Wednesday, hmm. potentially. I'd love Friday. to see FDR jump over to, to Impact and fight Motor City Machine Guns on their home turf. But yeah, it, just it, wrapped up nicely. Yeah, it, it was what it was. It, it did really genuinely have that feeling of like they were just trying to give FTR something because they didn't go down the rumored path of them against the Young Bucks on the show, which I'm okay with. It is just a bit of a shame that essentially FTR got the short end of the stick on this and people are frustrated about that. And I understand it um, at the same time. It's, it's just the idea of like, I personally don't view FTR as any less popular than they were in April when they had that match against the young bucks in Boston. I was there yeah. for that too. It was fucking incredible. It's the idea. And I think you saw it tonight with Wardlow, like people, rightfully saying like okay they kind of dropped the ball with the follow-up to ftr and with the follow-up with wardlow at the same time they are two acts i think that are consistently over yes in that wardlow still got a great fucking reaction when he went to the power bombs on the pay-per-view and that's all you have to do is put him into one hot feud and he's over again that's all it takes same thing with ftr let FTR go out there, cut a promo, have a good match. They're going to get cheered. The match didn't hurt them. The match didn't hurt them at all. As you said, like they're over. They There was nothing in there for them to lose any of whatever they've built. And they can continue on going forward, continuing to build them as their number one tag team and their number one uh, future star. If he's not their number one star, uh, I wouldn't put him at number one star actually right now, but he's going to be money for them. But this match did nothing to hurt them either. As much as, like I said, it, it wrapped up nicely. It it just, as you said, it is, or it was what it was. And now we move on. So in terms of a match hurting somebody, that brings yes. us to Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks, <laughs> which lasted all of five minutes and five seconds with Powerhouse Hobbs getting the win. Right. Two things. Now, we're not going to talk about Clash at the Castle in full. Right. I want to mention Ricky Starks at the start of what is essentially a blood feud, coming to the ring, actually being mad. Unlike the Riddle-Rollins match from the day before, where Seth Rollins, uh, your, your wife fucking left you, you piece of shit. Yep. And then here comes Matt Riddle on the scooter, kicking off the flip-flops. All smiles high. until Seth Rollins' music's hit, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm mad about this. You fucking <laughs> insulted me. Like, that took me way out of that match. If anyone wants a spoiler of what I thought about that match, that they had their work cut out for them. So I do give Ricky Starks credit for that. And I'll, I'll say, in a general sense, people will be upset. Killer Sox is in our chat right now. <laughs> that Starks lost in five minutes. However, this, this was 100% the right decision. I thought this was perfect, and I'll go into detail as to why, but I want to hear from you first. What were your thoughts on this? You know what? As I said in the first uh, podcast, I don't necessarily need to watch the match to understand the... The surroundings of it, if that makes sense. That's whatever. Um, the importance. 
hearing you talk about Rollins versus Riddle that way uh, helped me explain Hobbs and Shaw. Just kidding, Hobbs and Starks. <laughs> um, it was the right person who won with the wrong buildup to the match. Now, my viewpoint is that the, it was the right person who won, yeah. and the buildup told you exactly how the match was going to go. Because essentially, every time Ricky went after this guy, he got yeah, his sure. ass kicked. 100%. And that was the story, is you already had a bad neck. He fucking clobbered you when he turned on you. And every sense of the way, every step of the way, Hobbs had gotten the better of Starks. And it happened again tonight with Ricky getting overzealous going in. That's what happened on the finish, right? He got caught with the spine buster again, and that was it. Yep. Ricky Starks is over. This loss doesn't damage him at all. In my opinion, at least, I think I think he's safe and Hobbs needed this Hobbs first big match after he turns. He's going to lose. Right. People like I don't I don't know how people thought this was going to go. I get that it was. Oh, it was five minutes. I don't view short matches as a terrible thing. And maybe it's because I'm a fan uh, of New Japan and they've done that in the past, particularly around the the G1 right. where somebody can lose in 2 minutes um the the best example is probably when and crash I don't know how up on new japan you are not very Hiromu Takahashi was brand new to new japan he just came back from excursion and he was going up against junior champion Kushida and okay. he beat Kushida in 2 fucking minutes and yep. that crowd was fucking stunned because Kushida is the ace of the juniors at the time. He's the best. And oh, my fucking God, he got flatlined yes. and training your audience that a big time match doesn't have to be a 20, 30, 40, 50 minute Jay White Okada classic is a good thing. And I think we saw that in the main event as well with that initial false finish. And we'll get to that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love, I love that Hobbs fucking flattened him in five minutes. It makes powerhouse Hobbs look legit, and it puts Ricky's character into a little bit of adversity. Where this entire time he has been the most like egotistical, self-absorbed character, even though people started cheering for him because he's so charismatic. And now he's facing a little bit of adversity for the first time where his best friend turned on him and his best friend kicked his fucking ass. Right. I love this. I, I, I've tried objectively to try to find a negative standpoint to this. Right. And yeah, that too. It makes Hobbs as it makes Hobbs finisher a fucking spine buster. Like that's dope to me. That's what I love. The simplistic moves that you get the most out of. I listen to Lance storm too much on Twitter. It's just get the most out of doing the least in a fucking classic Arn Anderson style spine buster. I will pop for every time I, I have said my piece. I love this. I think it's great. And I can't wait to see where it goes. The podcast is called the second turnbuckle podcast for one of the greatest finishers of all time. Simplistic. Um, yeah. I think for me, there wasn't really a moment where, and and I 100% agree with you, but I like the squash matches where there's still a glimmer of hope. And I had zero hope of Ricky Starks coming into this thing and winning. Like there wasn't really a moment where it was like, oh, he could act. like Daniel Bryan WrestleMania as much as that was laid out for him to win. Mm -hmm. There was always still that it, in a reverse sense. There was always still that chance that he could get screwed that a Batista or Randy Orton were going to win, that Triple H was going to keep him out of the main event. There was still that kind of sense of like, there's still a chance of that happening versus there was zero chance of Ricky Starks winning this match, which to me actually hurts the Ricky Starks uh, character. I, I agree. It does wonders for Hobbs that it was all offense, but 
the buildup was more um, emotionally towards Ricky Starks mm-hmm. and everything that he's gone through and everything that he's now going to do. And then it was, it was over and just decimated. So I, I get why it could be enjoyable. I get the payoff from the one side, but for me, it was uh, no bueno. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy that match at all. That's fair. I view it as the, the, you know, the first match of a series. Right. And I think if it leads towards Ricky having a little bit more of a mean streak in his Mm -hmm. in-ring style to overcome Hobbs, that'll be the best thing that they could have done. Okay. I'll agree to that. If you'll agree that this shouldn't have started at a pay-per-view, it should have ended at a pay-per-view. I will say for every company that it does suck when a feud's first match is at a pay-per-view. Both companies do it, and I agree I'm not a fan. Um, Clash at the Castle, again, I'll kind of mention it. Gunther and Sheamus, which we'll talk about on Tuesday, they really kind of set it up. So now moving forward, you're going to get a six-man tag. And it's just... It continues. And it's just, you could say that's the evolution of something, but at the same time, I I do kind of agree. You know, it would have been more interesting in in a sense if you had had, you know, perhaps this was the second match and this was Ricky's Revenge or something like that. You know, the previous match, the first match for them had main evented a dynamite or something like that. Yeah. And I'll throw this in too. Uh, All Out is technically uh, AEW's WrestleMania, right? Yes. And that's the start is their biggest. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the first time they get in the ring together and have a one on one match. So up next is Backlash in April. (laughs) (laughs) All Backlash. Yeah, that's just that's it's the way of the world with wrestling, right? It's the way of the world. Yeah. So I I can see your viewpoint on that. Obviously, I loved it. I want to know your viewpoint on the tag team title match. Swerve in our glory against the acclaimed. Shockingly, the longest match on the card at 22 and a half minutes. With Swerve in our glory retaining the tag titles. For me, this is their version of Roman and Drew from the night before, where the wrong fucking person or the wrong people in a tag match instance one I thought this match uh, just absolutely deflated the crowd for the rest of the evening until the main event agreed I felt this was one of the best wrestled um, one of the best stories of the night mm-hmm. beginning to end i don't know how billy gunn was so over in chicago but i was actually worried that that was going to distract from a fantastic match right yeah um everything pointed to an amazing payoff and the wrong team won and you even see professionals that have done this for decades saying an audible should have been called if the original plan was for swerve in their glory to retain that was the wrong call it may have been the right move at the beginning of the match it was absolutely the worst outcome that could have come out of this uh barring everybody should be healthy although bowen's kind of looked like he might have done something to the knee. I don't know if that was selling or not, but boy, did they ever attack that knee. I think they were, they were playing off the fact that he had that legitimate knee injury earlier in yeah, the year. If you remember, he was some in those replays. Some of yeah. those replays look like football replays. Like he's he's fucking incredible. Yes. Like yeah. In terms of I don't even think you could call him underrated because I think people realize how good he is. But he has been maybe the breakout wrestler of 2022 for me. Anthony Bowens is so fucking good. 
and the infamous story that the WWE were going to sign them and just forgot to send him the papers or some shit like that. So he went elsewhere. It's insanity. He is amazing. Uh, But take a look at some of those replays afterwards and the way his knee bent. If he's got Alexa Bliss uh, stretching or dexterity, then all the power to him. But some of those uh, moves at the end... And like I said, unintentionally, it wasn't like it was like a Boston Crab or or anything like that. Like somebody was holding on to him and then somebody jumped into that person and then watching Bowen's knee just made me cringe a little bit. But I I think it's a matter of when and not if that the acclaimed will be carrying the tag team titles. Yeah, it should have been tonight. It absolutely should have been tonight. That was as much as I didn't like the endings for most of the matches this one logically uh was wrong i could put some logic into all the other ones this one was absolutely incorrect just based and not even if you ask me at the beginning of this 50 50 split maybe a little bit of edge to you know where the acclaimed have gone from to where they are now and earning it um i think we even talked about the fact that uh, this is one of their first major um, tag team title uh, uh, matches. Like, they haven't had very many opportunities, and they're one of, if not the winningest tag team uh, in the AEW. It just... As the match went on, the acclaimed had all the momentum, had the crowd behind them, like I haven't seen in quite some time. Mm-hmm. And they just, they screwed it. They screwed it up. Big time. They built this match in two weeks, if that. Um, I do agree with the take that this cements the acclaimed as one of the biggest acts in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only, of course, have they proven that they can get a crowd reaction, they can back it up in the ring as well. Um, I would have liked... I thought Swerve did a pretty damn good job in the match of healing it up. I was expecting there to be more of a clear-cut cheating effort for the champions to retain based off of how the match was set up. Because Mm -hmm. how you set up that match, I thought the reactions were... It was pretty obvious the reactions you were going to get. The amount of near falls that you had. uh, This match, and you mentioned um, the John Silver near falls in the, the trios match as well, where people genuinely bit on, oh my god, this is over. Um, I really would have liked Swerve and Our Glory to actually cheat to win. They didn't cheat. They just won the match. Um, those two are great, too, by the way. Um, yeah, it does have the sense of they were paired together because fuck, what else are we going to do? And, you know, it is two former NXT guys that they never should have had their hands on. That I mean, shit, we could talk about that, and someday we will go more in-depth on that, just the amount of talent AEW has that they never they're, should have had. And they're about to hit critical mass. They're about to hit critical mass. You can't possibly when Keith Lee and Swerve become available and Adam Cole and all these guys, you can't possibly not sign them when you're 100%. being thrown home run derby like softballs to hit out of the park. Even if you don't make the most of all of them, you can't not sign them because you never should have had them in the first place. I'm sure Triple H agrees based off of who he'd prefer to have on his roster right now. I'm sure he'd rather try to rehab Bearcat Lee as opposed to being like, fuck, what do I do with Madcap Moss? Um, you know, it, it was rumored already, and I know we've both been kind of keeping an eye on the uh, the press conference afterwards, and we'll have plenty to talk about in regards to that. Um, you know, teasing the rematch in a couple of weeks at Arthur Ashe Stadium at Dynamite Grand Slam. Um, Yeah, you do that rematch, they win it then and there in New York. At the same time, yeah, just a gigantic opportunity loss to make a super, super memorable moment happen Um, that would have been remembered for a really long time. I think this will turn out to be um, Becky Lynch SummerSlam Liv Morgan's 2021 heading into 2022 
where the crowd just kept saying, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, and sooner or later they got it right. Yeah. I just wish that after watching that match, I kind of wish they didn't put the acclaimed in that scenario other than they, they came out gang, like, again, we talk about how they came out of the match. Probably better than they did heading into the match. 100%. I think I think this was huge for them. I just like I said, the the ending was wrong. I would have almost rather have seen again, I'll use FTR as yeah. the example. I would have rather have seen FTR in here and issue is FTR has to win that at that point. Which is fair, but I think they're being built as like, how do you come out with everybody else's titles and not have your company's title? Fair. So, going back to that, I think, uh, again, they they just screwed the pooch on this one. This was uh, an absolute terrible ending. And it and it drained the, the crowd for the rest of the, the, the pay-per-view as far as I'm concerned. I will say that I think no matter what, to your point, this um, this crowd was was toast no matter what. They're either deflated because the acclaimed lost, or it's a Kofi Kingston winning at WrestleMania. We blew our load. Now we're exhausted anyway because we got what we wanted. Type of thing. I don't know if you recall that Mania. That was the. I think yeah, that was the one where the women triple threat main evented at like midnight. Um, by the time that happened, obviously the crowd was was dead. Like I think Roman and Drew happened at that Mania too, and the crowd was pretty much dead for that. Um, that was, this was one that of those was, middle of the show barn burners that pretty much fucks everyone else that comes after it until you hit the main event. Uh, yeah, but that was the cat is correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the WrestleMania, the catalyst that they switched to the, the two day. Which that was, was kind the of final non well. two day. Yeah. Yeah. But there was talk about like that was eight hours of mania, including like all the pre-show, all the pre-show matches. Like, I think that was, was that the one where uh, Brock Lesnar threw the belt at Vince as well? I think so. <laughs> just because the, you're 100% right. The crowd was just so dead for the rest. But I think that was more because people wanted to be at WrestleMania when WrestleMania started at 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess the one o'clock or whatever Eastern, yeah. right? So, um. Yeah, that that was more a catalyst of too much programming versus but you don't have one without the other. So. So up next was the women's championship match, the four way between Tony Storm, Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter and Hikaru Shida that saw Tony Storm win the interim title. Of course, she was scheduled to have a match with Thunder Rosa, who was hurt. Uh, makes you wonder if Tony was, you know, intended to win at this particular event anyway. Um, I do see this as a reason as to why Athena didn't win in a sense of like necessarily do you want two former WWE talents winning your titles on the same pay-per-view? I do wonder if that was factored in. This was, again, fine. Um, crowd was obviously fucking exhausted and that didn't help. Right. Um. And unfortunately here, the most over person in the match was Jamie Hayter and she didn't win. But I do think for people, and I said this on Twitter for those who were like, oh, the women's division needs more Tony Storm winning and it's setting up Hayter and Britt Baker finally feuding. You got two for the price of one here instead of if Britt Baker won by robbing Hayter of the title and then you have that feud that's for the title. Kind of similar to when Brock and Goldberg had their match at Mania when Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho should have been the WWE title match. Yes. Like, I I don't like... You already have a feud that doesn't need the title, so just have that feud and have the title picture involving two other people. I will agree with you, and I'm not going to put it back on you to agree with me on this one. I'll agree with you if the end of the match... Again, I... I loved a lot of what was coming out of All Out as far as the matches and and where they were kind of building to. Um, and then it kind of just felt like a throwaway. So in one sense, I will say, you know what? Tony Storm winning was probably going to happen anyways. Mm-hmm. So 
her getting the title would have been fine. And I will go back and say uh, feud starting can happen um, at pay-per-views. And I think the perfect example of that was Britt Baker uh, stealing... Uh, whose finisher was it that they hit Jamie Hayter? Tony hits Jamie. a pile driver and then Britt threw Tony out of the ring and tried to get the, the pin on Hayter. Yeah, which would have been amazing. And that would have built... I, I agree with you that feuds don't necessarily need belts. Mm. But that finish would have been fantastic and it would have led to something between the two. It's still going to, but it won't feel as good to me because 10 seconds later, Tony Storm came in and hit a finisher and and, and that match was over. Had it been Brit pinning Hater. Uh, I think that would have been the money finish and built uh, whatever they were going to start as a feud um, a lot better than what we saw. Fair enough. But yeah, if I think I think the point that you made that if it was Thunder Rosa versus Tony and Tony was going to win anyways, Mm -hmm. I just. I wish they wouldn't have done that spot and just made Tony win amazingly and then like the next uh dynamite or whatever um have Britt baker come out and and turn or you know have that confrontation on the next show if that makes sense yeah i think that's fair 